coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce. The secret sauce, if there is one, and I think there is, in when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a business, is perseverance. Mm-hmm. You have to persevere. So you can, whatever helps bolster you through those tough times, but what helps me get through the tough times is remembering why I'm doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's not about being stopped by the day-to-day obstacles. It's about remembering, I want to tell this story, and this story is important to be told, and it's important for it to be heard. And I'm driving that train. Yeah. You know, I'm raising the money for it. I wrote the, the script. I'm, I'm assembling the talent that I want to work with. And even when it gets really tough, going back to remembering the central theme in my life is that sharing good ideas and getting those ideas out there. And I hope affecting positive change that helps me persevere. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Shields. On Pass the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Up next on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Jeffrey Madoff, who is the founder and CEO of Madoff Productions. This conversation was really special. We really connected on a lot of different topics. We we got into Jeff's first company that he started at a very early age, 20, 21 years old, which was a, uh, a clothing line and how that spun into so many more uh, opportunities. Uh, Jeff's had a great deal of success over the course of his entrepreneurial journey. He's worked with some of the, the highest stars in Hollywood and certainly worked with many, many many brands over the course of his 20-year advertising company. Many of the brands that he's worked with are household brands. Uh, Certainly, you probably have seen some of Jeff's work if you follow any of these brands. And then we also get into how he rolled all of that experience and all of that knowledge into his new endeavor, which is a a theater production. Really, really interesting story, really interesting perspectives on entrepreneurialism. And I really hope that you enjoy today's episode with Jeff Madoff on Pass the Secret Sauce. Well, I had a Formica top and metal legs. And, uh, I'm very literal, Matt. Uh, <laughs> I, I've, you know, after you started doing that, you're the first person who's ever. I, I mean, you, 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 you picked up right on right away with that. You're the first person who's ever explained it like that. So that's that's funny. That's funny. I like it. Our our dinner table, uh, in terms of the behaviors around the dinner table, which is, I assume, what you actually want to know. Yep. Yep. There was always very animated discussion. My mom and dad had some retail stores in Akron. And so they were, they talked business with each other and, you know, talk about the day's sales and that sort of thing. So I was very used to hearing 
conversations, not only about business, but also between a male and female with mutual respect about mm-hmm. business and sharing and decisions and all of those things. Oh, I love it. Which, which was, uh, you know, I didn't know that that was significant until I got older, really. And so I was very fortunate. And, you know, my parents were entrepreneurs, as is my sister. She owns her own business, and as I do. But we talked about all kinds of things, and my parents were not the kind of parents that children should be seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. So conversation was encouraged and lively, and you know it was good. It was it was really nice, and we always did have dinner together, and, uh, and there's always stuff to talk about. It was never a quiet table. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Where where was your parent, or what were your parents' stores? Well, they had, they had uh, women's and children's clothing stores in Akron and, and Fairlawn and Cuyahoga Falls. At their height, they had five stores doing that. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I'm sure, you know, growing up in a household like that, you know, the entrepreneurial mindset and all of that, you know, gave you some of the foundations, I'm sure, that, that allowed you to be willing to make the leap into to entrepreneurialism as well. Well, I, I didn't know any different. Yeah. You know, it seemed to me that you, you know, made sense to own your own business. It wasn't until later that I realized I'm an entrepreneur probably because I'm unemployable otherwise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so it, I didn't have any great insight into entrepreneurship. Just my parents, you know, since I was, since before I was born, owned their own businesses. Mm-hmm. And so it just seemed like normal that I would grow up and have my own business. It, there, it was never a time that I thought, geez, I'd like to get a great job. Yeah, that just yeah. never occurred to me. So you mentioned a, a minute ago how you were unemployable. I'm sure you probably have some, some stories to tell about you know, times when you were trying to go down the, the, uh, you know, the W-2 path. Well, I did have jobs when I was younger. And when I mean, you know, when I say younger, I mean you know, up through college. Mm-hmm. So I had quite an assortment of jobs. You know, I did door-to-door sales, which was actually great training. I was 16 years old, and it's basically cold calling. It was a company called the Fuller Brush Company, which at that time was quite significant. And, you know, you basically had about 10 seconds to capture the person's attention and engage them before they slammed the door yeah. in your face. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so... That was great practice, which then got even more refined when I got retail sales jobs when I was growing up. So I learned important lessons through that. And I also set tombstones and uh, you know, never had a customer that voiced a complaint. <laughs> and yeah, that was though interesting too. And so I had a bunch of different kinds of jobs. And the traditional back in those days, I had a paper route, I mowed lawns like the day we have today in New York, which is uh, a lot of snow, mm-hmm. you know, that was a great opportunity growing up in Akron to go door to door in the neighborhood and shovel driveways and sidewalks. So that was entrepreneurial actually. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But the jobs I had in retail sales, in setting tombstones and all of that were jobs, but those were, you know, jobs that I had when I was young, when I started my company, the year after I graduated from college, that was kind of my first adult career move. Mm-hmm. And, and what, what industry was that first company in? Has it always been in you know, playwright, 
you know, that, that type of thing, or were you in other no. industries as well? other industries. So I was working in a small boutique in Madison, Wisconsin. I went to school at the University of Wisconsin. And I didn't know what I was going to be doing at that point and wasn't really thinking much about it. And I got a call from a dear friend of mine, also from Akron. We grew up together. We don't remember not knowing each other. Our mothers grew up together. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, I saved up some money. Can you think of a gig that would earn more than bank interest? And I was working in a in a little clothing boutique and I saw what we sold and I could always draw. So I said, I'll start a clothing company. Wow. And he said, okay. And then he sent me what was at the time more money than I ever had at once. And I don't really remember the number, but I think it was around $2,500. Okay. And ignorance as the phrase goes is bliss. So to me, that seemed like a lot of money and I was very naive like I thought that fabric on the bolt was wholesale because it hadn't been made into anything yet. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> but I learned quickly and I got some of the sewers who did alterations for the store to make some of my designs. And at the same time, I took a shirt I really liked and cut it apart so I could see how the shirt was made because I never okay. really looked at the puzzle that became a shirt. And I started learning by doing. And that happened pretty quickly because it was also all survival, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and the interesting thing, part of the secret sauce to refer to the name of your podcast was I learned really young that by putting the clothes in the store where I worked first, mm -hmm. we sold out immediately, put it, you know, I put in a bunch of stuff, sold out quickly, put in another bunch of stuff, sold out quickly. And so what I had, Matt, at quite a young age and a very early stage of that business was proof of concept, Okay. you know, because you, you can't be the only one in love with your idea and expect to build a business out of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, I uh, basically put a line together, as they call it in the fashion world, and uh, put it into a suitcase, strapped it on the back of my motorcycle, drove to Chicago, went to 18 boutiques, sold, I think, 14 or 15 of them. Wow. And, you know, I had a business. That is great. That's, that's, I've never heard of anyone doing that in the clothing industry. I don't know. Is that, is that common? I mean, have you heard of other people starting that way where, I, I mean, I love the idea of deconstructing the clothes to, you know, learn how they're put together and you know, basically, I guess, uh, learn the patterns that, that you need to make. I've never, I've never heard of that before. Have you, is that common in the, in the clothing industry? I think that there are people that start businesses, but back then, a young person doing a startup, which it wasn't even called a startup back then, right. you know, that was pretty novel. And I had a lot of trouble initially being taken seriously by both the people that sold fabrics, contractors, all those, because I'd walk in and I was 21. Yeah. And they're thinking, you know, 21, drove a motorcycle, hair down to my shoulders. <laughs> and they're thinking, who's this kid? Yeah. And then, you know, after that trip to Chicago, I had like $55,000 worth of orders. Wow. wow. So, you know, that was serious. And I was able to attract relatively quickly, I was able to attract good financial backing. I had a very good financial backer. He owned five banks in Wisconsin. And he was a very good man. And... He found my business interesting. And the most interesting thing to him was that, you know, I, within the first year, I was employing about 120 people in Wisconsin. Wow. 
Wow. So, you know, he was willing to back me as long as, as I did that. Yeah. So, so, you know, I think that at that time, and there's, it's funny, there's people that I'm still good friends with. I met during that time who were also young people starting in business. And we were always kind of put together because the older people didn't want to deal with us. <laughs> uh, that's great. How do you think that you were able to attract money like that at, at such an early age? That's obviously one of the, the biggest challenges that it seems a lot of people have, you know, especially starting out. You, you mentioned you had the proof of concept. You were able to obviously generate quite a few sales as well. I, I know that all of that helped, but even getting in front of someone and getting connected with someone who would have the means to be able to finance you in that meaningful way, do you have any insights or, or reflections on you know, how you were able to accomplish that or, or tips on how to connect with people like that? Well, it was, it's interesting. It's an interesting question, Matt. Very good question. I think there's a couple of things. First of all, just to repeat it, because I think it's essential, is I could point to actual sales by bona fide businesses that wanted to buy the product I was creating. So that's a big thing off the bat. And when right out of the shoot, I get over $55,000 in orders from 15 different stores, yeah. well, it looks like there's actually something maybe real about this. Yeah. Getting in front of the people, you know, I, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago about doing door-to-door -door sales and then doing retail sales. I think that, you know, on, upon reflection, I think that learning how to approach people and talk about what I was doing. And of course, when I was doing that, I had a product to sell. Well, I had another product to sell, my business. Mm -hmm. And so I had to put the same kind of polish on it in terms of trying to sell to the person who was going to potentially invest in me. And I think that that experience I had during door-to-door -door sales, doing retail sales, enabled me to know how to engage with people early on. Mm -hmm. And that was really fundamental. And then it's a question of who do you engage with and how do you meet them? I happened to meet my backer because I knew his daughter and she kind of casually mentioned to me, you know, I'll bet your, my father would find your business really interesting. And I said, what does he do? And she said, and said well, he's a lawyer and uh, he owns five or six banks. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, banks have money. You know, <laughs> yes, that <could laughs> by <be> definition, <laughs> yes. So I said, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet your dad. And she said, really? And I said, yeah, I would. I would. I mean, if you think he might invest in this, she said, well, I really have no idea. And I said, well, if you can arrange it, I'd love to meet with him. So another part of it is sensing potential opportunity. You know, so when you hear about someone that you might meet with, get the meeting. Yeah. You know, push yourself out there. Don't be reluctant. Don't second guess yourself. Well, I don't know if they'd be interested or whatever. Right. Do it. Because in worst case scenario, if they're not interested, you've worked on your pitch. Yeah. It's a rehearsal for the next meeting and the next and the next. So, you know, I think that it's so important to place yourself out there and to, you know, the sure way that nothing happens is do nothing. Yeah, you don't act. Exactly. That's right. So, you know, we're all kind of reluctant to, to try those first times, mm -hmm. but when you realize that, you know, my survival depends on this. So you have to overcome that fear, which everybody has, 
and uh, approach people. And even to this day, like uh, putting together financing for my play, what I learned, and I learned this a little bit later, as much as, you know, I hustled and had my own businesses, raising money for a play was a whole different thing because I didn't raise money for my businesses. I did get financial backing for my clothing company when I transitioned into doing film and video production. I self-financed the company through the work and the revenue and the sales. Mm -hmm. And then doing the play, I had to raise money. And, you know, raising money is a job unto itself. It is. But it's about being opportunity focused. And so I learned something I was reluctant to do when I was younger. I learned to put it out there because you have no idea who you're going to run into, who they know when you're talking about what you're doing. And there is a kind of synergy that can happen that may surface a contact that you didn't even know existed. And if you hadn't at least put it out there, you wouldn't know. And that has allowed me to even finance my play. People that I have met, I'd say 75% of the people that have put money into it, I did not know before. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what is it about the film industry that that attracted you how did you how did you get involved in that because you you mentioned film was first and and then the the play came second what was it that that attracted you to well actually the fashion company the fashion company was first well yeah yeah i mean i'm sorry yeah after after the fashion company it it sounds like you went into film then after that and then and then it was the play third so so what was it how did you get involved in the the film industry so I think this is a good example of how things happen and the serendipity of it, because there are no formulas. Mm-hmm. And anybody that tells you, you know, that you take these seven steps and you'll be successful, right. that's not how the world operates. There is so much serendipity. There's so much that depends on you being able to recognize a potential opportunity. And what happened was one of the fabric companies that I bought from, the one of the founders of very good man, said to me when I was on a trip to New York, it was even before I moved here, and he said, um, you, do you know anything about the film business? Which was out of nowhere that he said it. And I said, well, I, I love film, but <clears throat> I don't really know much about the business. He said, well, you got a good head on your shoulders, you know business. My son is your age. And he's gotten involved with some people. And uh, would you mind talking to him? Because he won't listen to me. Okay. I said, I'd be happy to talk to him. Well, his son had bought the rights to a book by William Burroughs. And William Burroughs was one of the seminal figures of the beat generation in the 50s. Okay. And he wrote a book called Naked Lunch, which maybe you've heard of. I've, I have heard of that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a cornerstone book of the beat generation. Mm-hmm. And now I, I met him, I met Burroughs in the 70s in the 1970s and the the fabrics owner's son had optioned the right to Burroughs book Junkie and uh, was going to be making a film out of it. The other person that I met, which you may have heard of is Dennis Hopper. Of course. And Dennis Hopper had just come off of the shooting of Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. and he was going to star in and direct the film. And so when I met the son, Tommy Erlanger is his name. You know, he was a novice. I, I didn't know much more than him. I knew a little more than him, but not much. And all of a sudden I'm with these, Burroughs is really an iconic figure. And I think that it's fair to say that Dennis Hopper 
went on to become an iconic movie star. You know, probably most people know him for Easy Rider or Blue Velvet. And uh, he worked with James Dean and, and worked with Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now. I mean, quite a guy. And so in getting involved with these people, what I saw is the potential for storytelling and expression mm -hmm. in the film business. So again, it was having my antenna up for opportunity. I thought, wow, this could be really interesting. Meet some people that are making a film. I've never experienced that before. Mm -hmm. And Matt, I, I tend to be someone who is, and this isn't always good, by the way, but I am seduced by ideas. Uh -huh. I and do I, too. <laughs> and I've been fortunate that I've been able, you know, to, to turn those ideas into something profitable so I can make a living. But, you know, I don't know that starting out. And I don't think of things like, well, I'm going to do this, but can I make money doing it? I think I'm first attracted by what it is I'd be doing. And I think that's a, a, another important point is knowing why and what your motivation is for doing something. Because it's hard to start a company. Mm -hmm. It's not hard to start a company. Let me correct that. It's hard to build and sustain a company. Yeah. Starting, it's kind of easy. Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today. But building it and sustaining it is hard. And, you know, so there's going to be a lot of times when you're going to confront obstacles that are in the way of accomplishing what you want to do. And what I have a problem with, with a lot of entrepreneurs and conferences I speak at and so on, is, is there's this glorification of entrepreneurship that overlooks the tremendous amount of work it takes mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to build and sustain a business. And then with the addition of social media and people put out all of these images of the perfect life yeah, and you know what they're doing. And that's just not how it is. And people are often very afraid or very reluctant to talk about this is hard. Yeah. You know, and you hit walls that are hard to get over or under or around and through and navigating obstacles is absolutely essential to survival in business. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, you, you, you touched on so many points there. I've been fortunate enough over the course of my entrepreneurial career where I've had a handful of people, a handful of parents come to me and ask me to, you know, offer advice to their kids because, you know, they don't understand they, they might have a, you know, a, a W2 job, you know, this isn't a, a life that they have any idea about. So, I think that's fantastic that you know you were you were exposed to this entire other industry because 
one someone who respected your opinions and uh, respected your you know your your mindset offered you to to talk to their to their child so that's that's just fantastic to me that's like the the ultimate form of flattery you know can you can you can you help my my family because i i think you can do a better job than what i could possibly ever do or offer better advice than what i could ever um, offer there so so i love that i love that story well, it could be flattery or it could be an indication of how desperate they are for that's, help. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. So, so you started in the, the film industry. Was it, was, did you, so I, I, you went forward with this, this project with, you know, Dennis Hopper and, and all of the other gentlemen. Um, is that- uh, I went forward for a little while and uh, it's kind of an interesting resolution. This isn't something I've talked about much doing these, but, we got a, they got a suite at the Chelsea Hotel, which is a legendary hotel in New York City. Mm-hmm. And they were joined by another gentleman named Terry Southern, who wrote The Magic Christian and some other things. And, and they spent a lot of time getting very high. Mm-hmm. And so I would see Dennis sign over a check from Zoetrope Studios, which was Francis Ford Coppola's company. Okay. And that was money he made from doing apocalypse now and they they would buy whiskey and white powder yeah. and <laughs> uh, and so it would eventually devolve into uh, an arguing match with hopper and southern talking about who actually wrote the script for easy rider and burroughs who was probably 20 years older than everybody in the room would sit there and turn off his hearing aid because he didn't want to hear them (laughs) bicker with each other. And then they would end up going to bed at like four or five in the morning and then waking up at three or four the next afternoon and the whole cycle would go again. Mm -hmm. And so I said to Tommy, look, you're going to get squeezed out of this. You know, you put these people together and they don't need you anymore. They're going to try to get you out. But it's my film, he said, you know, and I said, look, the film's never going to get made. These guys can't even make it out of the hotel room. Right. You think they're right. going to get a movie made? And, you know, he said, but it's, but it's mine. And, and I said, look, I think that's what's going to happen. That's my guess. I don't know that it will. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, they uh, wanted to buy him out. Mm-hmm. And I, he told me, and I said, well, how much are they offering you? And he told me, and I said, so how long have you had these rights for? And he said, six months, eight months. I said, so in six or eight months, you've tripled your money. Yeah. Sell the option because it's not going to get made anyhow. And you can always renew it if things move further down the road. Mm -hmm. But the other part of that is, is I met people that allowed me to make the transition into doing film production. Mm -hmm. Not them, other people, but as a result of that. So again, it's having the opportunity antenna functioning. And so the movie never got made. I was disappointed because Dennis Hopper wanted to give me a major supporting part in it. And I Mm -hmm. thought, wow, this would be fun. (laughs) But it rapidly became clear, this ain't happening, (laughs) you know? But it was an interesting time. And and, and I did learn a lot. And that caused me to transition careers. And, you know, shortly before this happened, I moved to New York from Wisconsin. So it was a big period of change for me. I love it. I love it. So what was your first big break, would you say, in the the film industry then? 
My first big break was I was worked with the designer Halston, who at that time was one of the most prominent American designers. Mm-hmm. And there is a, actually Netflix is doing a series about him that will be coming up and they have some of my footage in it because I did all of, of Halston's video work until he wow. stopped working. And actually maybe within a month of getting Halston's work, I got Ralph Lauren's work and I worked with Ralph for 36 years. Wow. So I got two very high profile clients right off the bat and that was really great. And so I, I, uh, my work was quite visible. And then uh, a few years later, I attracted Victoria's Secret and did a great deal of work for them for like 24 years, 26 years, something like that. So I got very high profile clients and my work was seen and I was very fortunate. It was a double-edged sword. I was very fortunate because I didn't have to look for work for Mm -hmm. years and years and years. They all kept me busy with cool work. I traveled the world. That was all really good. But what that also allowed me to do is teach Mm -hmm. because I was approached to do this class that I teach at Parsons School for Design called Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. That class that I did ended up generating a book that was published this summer that of the same name, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas, available at all fine bookshelves. (laughs) And and also to write the play that I wrote about Mm -hmm. rock and roll Hall of Fame legend Lloyd Price. Mm -hmm. So what I didn't do was I didn't as actively market my company because, you know, I was lucky for really 25, 30 years, I didn't have to look for clients. And so that allowed me and gave me the luxury to look and investigate other areas that would be interesting to me, back to the being seducted, uh, seduced by ideas. So writing the book is something that I really wanted to do. Teaching is something I love doing. And then bringing everything together that I know in terms of storytelling, in terms of directing, in terms of bringing an idea to life, writing the play and the creative collaboration I have with my director is phenomenally satisfying. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's really, really interesting to me too. So if I would have just been a prudent and smart business person, and I would suggest that everybody do this is market yourself, whether your sales are, 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 are good or bad, always have a strong marketing effort going in because that keeps bringing in new possibilities Mm -hmm. and marketing your business and what you do is very important. You know, the flip side is I love doing this other stuff. Yeah. And so I am happy that I've had such and am having such a wide range of experiences. So you, you, you kind of touched on something at the end there that you love doing these, these other things. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm the same way where I always have, you know, different interests and whatnot. And I've found, and I'm I'm curious if this is similar for you. I've been involved in, you know, commercial, commercial industry as well. A lot of um, retail type work that was, you know, going into retail shopping experiences and, and that sort of thing. So after a short while, you know, five, six, seven years, I started to really 
it just sort of felt empty, you know, just because I, I, I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was really contributing anything. It was more just, you know, creating things so that people could buy more things, you know, it was just kind of, again, an empty feeling. And, mm-hmm. you know, I started moving into things where I, I felt like I was making an impact and, and felt like I was actually helping and, and, you know, contributing. Did you ever run into similar feelings, you know, working with, uh, you know, building all of these, these commercials or these, these different things for these different brands? Yeah, I did. You know, because there was, you know, I did, I did big budget commercials. I traveled all over the world. I did all kinds of other content. I enjoyed the work of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, th- that was always a pleasure to me, but it was also selling another line of clothing you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, there was a certain repetitiveness to it as much as I always try. And I think, you know, often for the most part succeeded in bringing in new ideas. That's how I kept the clients I had for so long mm-hmm. is because I never took their business for granted. So I knew that I always had to be important to them by coming up with new and inventive ideas that would keep moving their business forward. But for me, it was, it started lacking the newness. Mm-hmm. And what that really translates into for me is I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling fulfilled by the work anymore. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's a place I'm not comfortable. And doing the play was such an exhilarating creative collaboration and experience. And it was not selling, I'm selling the play because I have to get it financed, Mm -hmm. but I'm telling an important story about an important person who had a major impact on our popular culture and a major impact on race. And it's a big story. And I think that getting involved with the level of talent that I'm now involved with in terms of uh, telling this story is incredibly fulfilling. And, you know, I think that again, going back to sort of secret sauce stuff, the secret sauce, if there is one, and I think there is in when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to build a business is perseverance. Mm -hmm. You have to persevere. So you can, whatever helps bolster you through those tough times. But what helps me get through the tough times is remembering why I'm doing this in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's not about being stopped by the day-to-day obstacles. It's about remembering, I want to tell this story and this story is important to be told and it's important for it to be heard. And I'm driving that train. You know, I'm raising the money for it. I wrote the, the script I'm, I'm assembling the talent that I want to work with. And even when it gets really tough, going back to remembering the central theme in my life is that sharing good ideas and getting those ideas out there. And I hope affecting positive change that helps me persevere. And uh, a friend of mine was talking the other day and he was talking about success and he said, success is being relentless. Mm -hmm. And it is, but I think even fundamental to that is you have to define, well, what is success for you? Right. Is success making a lot of money? Is it working on projects that you're excited about and you've got a passion for? 
you know, what is success for you? The free time on the other side of work time, you know, there's no one definition of it, but I think it's really important to ask yourself that question because that can help you persevere through those times when it really gets tough. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. And, and I think that that's, again, one of those things that you realize after being on your own, being an entrepreneur for so long, it's not, it's not all about the money. It's not all about the, you know, the lifestyle. It's about, again, making that impact, the, you know, telling the stories and, and, you know, making sure that your, your message is, is heard. And, and again, your impact is, is created. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. The, the story of the play, how did you, how did you come across that? Was that something that you like stumbled across? Did someone tell you the story? How did you, how did you uncover the, um, you know, the story that you're producing now or that you're, you're bringing to life? So a few years ago, I was approached by a man named John Bonani, who at that time was the executive producer for Radio City Music Hall. Mm. And he was interviewing a bunch of different production companies about doing a film that would be part of the Christmas Spectacular at Radio City with the Rockettes, and because it was the 75th anniversary of Radio City Music Hall. So he had heard of me, and when I went in and, and pitched the job, he really liked my ideas, and we also became friends. And uh, so it was pretty cool, and we worked together, and the film was quite successful. It ran, it was supposed to be one year, and it ran for seven. Wow. And, uh, you know, every Christmas. And that was fun to be a part of, you know, something like the Rockettes and, and Radio City Music Hall was really cool. Well, he left there. And after he left there, and I'm giving you the background because that's how I knew him. And again, this is how stuff happens. He called me up and said, have you ever heard of Lloyd Price? And I said, you mean Mr. Personality? Because you've got Walker Personality. Talk. Yeah, I, I know his music. And he said, well, listen, I may be doing something with him. And by the way, he and Lloyd met because they went to the same eye doctor. <laughs> but again, that's how stuff the happens, serendipity. Matt. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how, that's how 95% of, 98% of stuff happens is that. Things yeah. that you can't plan for, you know, it just happens. And uh, he said, I'd like you to meet Lloyd because I'd like you to put together a brief documentary because we want to do a project together. And uh, so would you be willing to meet with him? I said, sure. So I met with Lloyd. He's a very charismatic person. And uh, I took the job of putting together this documentary. So I researched him because I only knew his music. I didn't know about his life. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed him for about three hours for the documentary. And when that finished and the documentary was well received, I said, you know, I want to tell your story. It's an incredible story. And I think I can capture your voice. And I wrote the first few scenes and read them to him and he loved it. And that started our working relationship. Wow. wow. So that's how that happened. That is amazing. And, and when does it uh, actually debut? When does it premiere? Uh, is it? It, in February of 22. 22. Uh, it was originally scheduled for April of 21, but... I was concerned that we were not going to be sufficiently through COVID. And yeah. this is about two months ago, at least two months ago, maybe more. 
because my sense of time during lockdown is totally shot, <laughs> was I said to my management, because we have a theater deal, and I said to my management, I'm really concerned because we're not going to be out of COVID by this spring, mm -hmm. and uh, at least not out of it to the point that people are going to be willing to go to theater. And we got to move it, and I'd like to move it into first or second quarter of 22. And so we were able to make that change because the theater that we're working with, People's Light Theater, which is a great regional theater, we're a big production mm -hmm. for them. And they're very supportive of the play and really like the play. And they agreed that we would not be setting ourselves up for success if we tried to open too early because yeah. just people wouldn't come. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Man, Jeff, this has been probably one of my favorite episodes. This has really been fascinating listening to your story, how you've put this all together. I, I love it. I love it. Oh, uh, thank and, you. Yeah. And I, I, I love the, the insights into, you know, the entrepreneurial journey and some of the, the struggles and the perseverance. Absolutely couldn't agree more. If someone wanted to learn more about you or, or the play or you know, anything about your, your story, what would you say is the best way to, to do that? Well, I'd say a great way to learn about what we've talked about and expand on those things is my book, Creative Careers, Making a Living with Your Ideas. And one of the unique things about the book is at the end of each chapter, I pose questions to the reader that are like the questions I pose to the people that I interview in my class. Mm -hmm. And one of the benefits that's happened, which frankly, I was so pleasantly surprised by because I hadn't thought about it. So I was getting emails from people saying that they read the book, they answered the questions, then went back and read the book again, and that created a journal for them oh, that they love keep referring back to, which is really cool. And yeah. I actually didn't even think about that until I heard that. Oh, well, that's really great. That's uh, cool. And where'd you get the idea to, to put the questions in there in the first place? I mean, is that just something that, that felt natural to you or that, was there a suggestion from someone or... No, it felt to me like I wanted the book to replicate the interaction that I have in my classroom mm -hmm. and to get people thinking, not just reading the stories, because there's like over 50 people that I've interviewed in this and it's embedded into my narrative and then different and oftentimes totally opposite points of view, which are interesting. And I thought, you know, to make this something where the information really sticks is after each chapter reflect on what you've read, mm -hmm. you know, what resonates with you? How would you answer this question that I posed to Damon John? How would you answer that question? You know, how do you apply it to your life? And then it starts to embed it more in the experience of the reader. And they wow. net something out of that, which is really forcing them to reflect on what it is they want to do. Why do they want to do it? How are they going to go about it? And all of that sort of thing. And of course I want to sell books, but it actually is, you know, go to Amazon, you can see the kind of reviews we've gotten, which are also very gratifying. But I think that there's a real value in that because what I'm principally about is being a storyteller and spreading ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's motivated everything that I've done. There's a website, two websites, madoffproductions.com. And are you going to have the links or should I spell sure. that? Yeah, no, no, no. We, we can put the links in the, in the show notes. Great. So there's madoffproductions.com where you can see my production work. And then there's a creative career.com 
And that's the Creative Careers website that has quotes from the guests and you get a real sense of what the class is and who's been there. And then there's an Instagram site for Creative Careers, which is also called A Creative Career on Instagram. And then finally on LinkedIn, where I post content and, and other things. And that's under my name, B. Jeffrey Madoff. I love it. I love it. And I, I really, I commend you on the book too. It's always interesting when you come across different ideas that when you were explaining that, that, that the idea of the, the questions and using, creating a, a, you know, a guide for yourself once you go through the, the process kind of reminded me of a, another great story. Can't hurt me by David Goggins. Have you ever heard of that one? No, I haven't. Sorry to say. Oh, so it, it's it's fantastic. It's actually the the audiobook is is incredible. He he basically the, the audiobook audiobook narrates uh, his story, and then he comes in at the end of the chapter and basically talks about that part of his life. So it's kind of like you know, again, you're 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 immersed in this book, and then he comes in and adds his own you know sort of flavor to it. So I I love I love when people when authors you know other creative people take those different ideas and and you know just create something new i mean i i other people obviously have put questions at the end of their book but then to to you know have people realize that this is sort of a manual that they can follow you know that that's great and it's even it's even better that it wasn't something that you necessarily planned out so so congrats there just sounds like it was just a well well thought out deliverable there so congrats well, thank you thank you you know it's funny i was going to be doing the audiobook you know, doing the narration, and I wanted it to be me doing it because aside from I'm hoping that some of the humor comes across, I, I just wanted to do it because I'd never done it before. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit, and I don't have a professional recording studio at home. Yeah. And uh, so my publisher, Hachette, said, we've got to, you know, have someone, you know, we work with lots of really good voiceover talent. We need to have somebody to do that. And I said, well, how about if I do the, intro, the introduction and the closing? Mm -hmm. And then the uh, audio talent, usually an actor or actress, you know, does the book. And so we did an audio test and it was, you know, good enough. The audio quality was good enough for me to do the intro and the uh, thank you at the end. Mm -hmm. But what was interesting is I said, I want to, uh, you know, I've directed thousands of voiceovers. And I said, uh, I, I want to direct, I want to meet the talent. Mm -hmm. And they sent me his reel and he's a very, very good actor. And uh, then I got him on the phone and I said, I'd like to go over the book with you just so you get where this is supposed to be ironic. This is dry humor. This is, you know, I wanted the nuances to come across. And so we got into it. and probably spent two and a half or three hours on the phone. Mm -hmm. And he said, I got to tell you, I, this is a first for me. And I said, what's that? And he said, well, you know, I get the assignment to do uh, an audio book and I just go do the audio book. Yeah. He said, this is like one of my acting roles. You know, I'm being directed on what to do. He said, it's actually kind of fun. I really dig it. And he did a wonderful, wonderful job. I love it. Yeah, no, it's great. It, it, collaboration is is you know just so important. I mean, you've obviously expressed that throughout your stories. You know, it's about the people that you can connect with and and you know the teams that you're able to you know create with basically. So 
um, you know, having that collaboration and, and, you know, being in that position where you're opening yourself up to, you know, that connection with other people, incredibly, incredibly important. So, yeah, I I, I can give you the, the key to having a successful creative collaboration or any kind of collaboration. Love it. One word. What's that? Listen. Yeah. Would completely agree. You know, and so that the person you're collaborating with feels heard and understood. Mm-hmm. That's true in personal relationships too. And it's certainly true in creative relationships. It's true in any kind of relationship. Yeah, everybody wants to feel heard and they want to feel understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, couldn't agree more. We, um, yeah, we, we were building our, our business, our real estate investing business on those exact, those exact principles. So yeah, 100% completely agree with that. So Jeff, again, this has been this has been uh, really special. I really appreciate the time that you spent with us, and uh, I'd love to be able to come and and uh, see the play when it when it debuts here in a, a few years or a year and a half or so. Um, Thank you. I would love you to, and I've totally enjoyed this. Your great questions. I just felt like I've been talking to a friend for the past hour. It's really great. Thank That's you. great. That's great. Thank you. Thanks for listening, and remember, pass the secret sauce.